Why the stone wall and not the sewer or the snake pit? The answer lies, we believe, in the unique nature of Stonewall. This club was more than a dance bar, more than just a gay gathering place. It catered largely to a group of people who are not welcome in or cannot afford other places of homosexual social gathering. The drags and the queens, two groups which would find a chilly reception or a barred door at most of the other gay bars and clubs, formed the regulars at the Stonewall. To a large extent, the club was for them. Apart from the gold bug and the one, two, three, drags and queens had no place but the Stonewall. So welcome to another episode of Your Queer Story. That's right. And we're your hosts. I'm the magnificent, marvelous, magical Paul Hobbs. And I am the down-to-earth, the skilled, the intellectual Evan Jones. I am the ying to his yang, the jelly to his peanut butter, the dildo to his lube. Hello, everyone. Happy Pride <laughs> Month. Happy Pride. Da-da-da. We finally made it the best month of the year. And guess what? We are just a week shy mm-hmm. of our one year anniversary as I a podcast. Know. Wow. You guys, thank you so much for our listeners who have been with us from the beginning, the OG. Thank you to the people. The OQs, that... the original questions. Oh, wow. Look at you. The OQs. Nice. And thank you to all the people that have joined along the way. Um, we couldn't have done this without you. No, honestly, if it wasn't for people downloading, would we yep. still be here? Probably not. Nope, absolutely We'd not. We'd be like, wow, three people listen to us in a year. We're going to leave. <laughs> <laughs> no, I would still keep talking. I want to talk to those three people. And I want to, you know, just keep filling their ears with queer history and my thoughts and my opinions on life. Um uh, by the way, guys, we um, if you have been wanting to support us, we talk a lot about supporting us. Uh, we recently had an interesting issue. In almost a year of podcasting, we got our first bad review. We got two stars. What the two fuck? Two stars. But the worst part wasn't that we got the bad review. It was that the person didn't tell us why we got a bad review. No, they literally just left the two-star review with no comment. It's on iTunes, so... Yeah. Uh, if you want to support us, go ahead and go on iTunes and leave us a five-star review and tell yeah. us how amazing we are. If you guys do enjoy us, we haven't asked for five-star reviews in a long time, like basically since we first started. But if you guys could go and help us pull that score back up, we'd appreciate it. And if you are the person who gave us a two-star review and you could reach out and let us know what it was, we would love to talk to you about it. Because we've had people voice concerns before. We've always been happy to talk about those issues, to fix and correct them. And, you know, we've and learned never a lot. Them again. Exactly. We've learned a lot from our listeners pointing things out to us, and we appreciate that. So if you, you know, left the review and you're mad about something, hey, let us know. We want to talk about it. Um, and if it was just a troll, then I guess it's just a troll. But like I said, if you want to support us, going on iTunes and leaving a five-star review would be a big help. It helps a lot because um, do you listen to anything that has no re- – I mean, we have reviews, but – the more reviews something has, the more credibility it has, and yep. the more likely somebody is to give it a try. Yeah. So, do you order anything that doesn't have tons of reviews? Nope. Exactly. Yeah. So, you can find it on iTunes. You can also rate us on. Which doesn't matter so much on iTunes because iTunes is going away now. Yeah. Did you so, hear that? Yeah, but I don't. I don't know where our podcast, podcast is going to uh, be. Um, I, the Apple Podcast. You can go on. Oh. Yeah, and you can leave a review, or you can do it on Google. Any place that does Stitcher, reviews. Stitcher, Castbox. I don't think Spotify has some they might in the future. I don't, I know. don't know. But that's a free, easy way to support us. And yep. it, it takes like three minutes 
So, yeah, it's real easy, real quick, and we would appreciate it. But um, yeah, and if you have other ways you want to support us, or if you want to gear up, get in gear for your pride, we still have our merch um, available. I am wearing our Homocrat shirt, which is my favorite piece of merchandise. It's almost tied with the Sodomite shirt. I love the Sodomite shirt, but this Homocrat shirt, I feel like I can wear it more places. Yeah, <laughs> it has the word queer on it in pretty big letters, it but does. that's fine. It does. That Well, there's nothing wrong with saying queer. No, there's not. Also, but... I feel like it's become relevant again because now people are calling Pete Buttigieg a Homocrat. So yeah, exactly. It's, it's, Perfect timing. Right? That's right. So, hey, if you're a Buttigieg fan, you here's a homocrat shirt for you um and and it's really cool it's got like the trans flag incorporated into the rainbow flag paul did a great job with the design thank you yeah we also we have flip-flops on our site now more colors more pride it's got uh the rainbow flag with the black and brown stripes Mm -hmm. We have a cute little art pop if you're really big fans of not just queer history, but Evan and I. And <laughs> of us our, specifically. And you want our faces on your mug or your feet. Mm. Hey, we got that for you too. Put us on your feet. You have a foot fetish. You want us all on your feet. There you go. That's right. Solving two problems in one. Yeah. And Paul's been doing great with shops. So probably going to add some more things. And this isn't just a Pride Month shop. We launched it right before Pride, but... This is a 365-year Even pride. on Christmas, Even open. on Christmas, especially on Christmas. Absolutely. That's right. Can't wait to have some great Christian Christmas merchandise. <gasps> Maybe stockings? I wonder mm. if I can make that happen. I'm sure you can make it happen. What I've found is Paul can make anything happen. Anything if you want? You want a butt plug with our face on the end of it? Paul can make it happen. Just let me know. I'll make it happen. Make it happen. I might actually <laughs> want that now that I'm thinking of it. <laughs> So, yeah, so check us out. Um, get your Pride merchandise. Remember, 10% of proceeds goes to PRISM, the Providence Youth Student Movement that supports queer people of color, people of color in general, but queer people of color as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and then any extra proceeds goes back into our podcast. So you are 100% supporting the queer community. So what are we spending our podcast earnings on next? Um, We've just upgraded our audio equipment. Mm -hmm. Um, We still need some equipment. We do need a nice pair of headphones so that we can live edit as we are recording. We could use some soundproofing materials to... So you don't hear Stewie in the background. Um, Then after that, it's going to be used in advertising to continue Mm -hmm. spreading the queer agenda. Yep. Um, More business cards, website upgrades. There's so many things that the money goes to that's behind the scenes that... Um, the average listener wouldn't even think to consider. Yeah. Uh, the podcast costs us money out of our pockets, so every dollar helps. Yeah, every dollar helps. And like I said, we said in the past, we always end up taking a bit of that and putting it towards the queer community. Maybe it's uh, something small, like organizing a meetup, or it, um, you know, we've talked with queer trainers before about offering free classes. So we've mm-hmm. got a lot of ways to support the community, especially in our area. We're fortunate in that we have a lot of um, you know be events around here. What? A summer yoga class. A queer summer yoga class. That would be fun. That would be fun. You know there is a yoga class in our area. In um, Warwick, Rhode Island, if you're queer and you're in Rhode Island, there is a free queer yoga class every other Wednesday at the Health Equ- Equity Zone. I had no idea. You had no idea. You should go. There's also every other Monday by queer trainer, non-binary individual Alex Weaver, there is a um, there's a 
There is a trans fitness class, but it's really anybody in the queer community can go and can train there. I believe that donations are encouraged because, um, but Alex is getting paid through um, Thunder Mist Clinic. So they are, you know, they're able to support themselves, Mm -hmm. obviously. But uh, if you're not able to donate, you can go there for free, get some good training. Alex is very body positive trainer. So they're a good person to learn with. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So, but there's, there's, there's a lot in our community that we can give to and aid in. Um, but yeah, so that's where all of our, that's what is next in our donations or are not our donations. What is it? And our support. Oh, also what? Thanks to our patrons. The results are in. Oh yes. What is, what are we doing? It was a three-way tie. Awesome. Okay. Which means Paul gets to make the decision. No, I don't think nobody ever, nobody ever how, said that. Unless you want to make three videos. No, I don't want to make three videos. How about we write them each out, each whatever suggestion on a piece of paper and we pull it from a hat and that's what we do. So we're doing the Bean Boozled Challenge. It's coming your way very soon. You notice how he just ignored everything that I said, just skipped right over it. Bean Boozled. Get excited. Get ready for it. Coming your way. I'm going to order them on Amazon and maybe next week, maybe the week after. Depends on how much time we have. Before the end of June, probably, probably next week, but if not, definitely the week after. Mm -hmm. So the Bean Boozle Challenge, guys, on YouTube. Um, also, I have a video ready that I have to um, upload, but I might re-record it because my audio is really awful. Um, but I'm trying to drop some more videos, especially this month. But this one, it's not about like my transition or anything. It's just about general topics, short things that you could share with friends and family about information. Um, if they don't like to read or listen to podcasts, there's also video. So um, what else? I felt like there was something else we were supposed to talk about. There's so much to talk about, but I don't remember. So I no, I think that's it. That's it. Wow. Okay. Oh, I went to a rally this week. Yes. Yes. The rally for the the rally against. against. So if you again, <laughs> so if you haven't paid attention, this actually made national news. Rhode Island has made national news twice over queer issues in the last few weeks, and I'm kind of proud of us. We have a very ashamed. a very active queer community in Rhode we, Island. Very active. I wouldn't say it's larger than other areas, but we, I think it's because ever it's such a small state, everybody's more connected. Uh-huh. Yeah. So we just have a very active queer community and there is a lot of strong people within that queer community who will yep. not be silenced. So yep. we just have a very active, outspoken group of we do. queers in Rhode Island. We do. And just in general, like our, I feel like there's a there's some kind of protest on something every week, which is great. I love being a part of a community that's getting out there and being like, hey, we may be the smallest state, but you're going to fucking listen to us. Mm-hmm. Um, so what happened? So two things happened in this last week. First of all, we had Drag Queen Story Hours come to Rhode Island and right outside of Rhode Island. So Fall River, Massachusetts and Bristol, Rhode Island, there was a Drag Queen Story Hour, which is a good friend of, it's a, I might friend but more your friend mm-hmm. naomi chomsky that's the chom bomb she so she did a, a drag queen story hour and this church uh decided to protest her which was really weird i think the people of rhode island were kind of thrown off because in fall river we're like um we don't really protest these things right but Bristol closed down their drag queen story hour. They closed down theirs though because there was a threat made against someone's life oh yeah and i don't know you don't know what side it was I don't on. know if that threat, if that threat had not been made, I don't know if it would have been canceled. Mm-hmm. It's hard know. to know. Yeah. yeah. So I don't want to say that the library was using, you know what I mean? Like, I don't yeah. want to say that they, if they were trying to preserve someone's life, I can understand. Yeah. 
but at the same time, if they used it as an out. Yeah, well, it's hard to know. It's right. hard to know. Um, but the Fall River one, though, there was a protest outside with a big old sign that said, <laughs> it, say, it said, God protect our children from the perversion of drag queen story hours. Don't worry, though. We're going to send them back to church so they can get molested by the priest. Yeah, right? Yeah, well, that was the second thing. So anyways, but Naomi did her reading, and it was actually so jam-packed that she had to do three separate readings. This is the thing we've talked about before in history. Every time somebody tries to suppress something, they just bring more awareness to it, and the community grows every single time. The best way to protest... A community that you, a marginalized community that you don't want to grow is to pretend it doesn't exist. Yeah, to be honest, we're helping you out out there, you bigots. But honestly, yeah, because if nobody had protested, it would have been a regular reading at the library. Maybe a couple extra people that knew, but like literally nothing would have happened. But instead it was jam-packed. There were protesters, there were counter-protesters. They had to do three readings. You know what? And a lot of kids got to see a drag queen for the very first time, and that's fantastic. And, and a lot of people got educated on what hate looks like and how not yeah, to be hateful. Exactly. So that was good. So on the heels of that, uh, Bishop Thomas Tobin, who is the Archbishop in Rhode Island, uh, on June 1st, the day of Pride, he tweets out this tweet that says that tells everyone, uh, just a reminder to Catholics, you shouldn't be attending these Pride events. We, The Catholic Church does not support that lifestyle, and these events are especially harmful for children. Which, wow, so ironic that the fucking Catholic Church is talking about events being harmful to children. Yeah, um, uh, la- that's like a serial killer being like, well, maybe you shouldn't <laughs> go there. You might die. Yeah, it's, you know, it's not really safe to go there. Yeah, it was mind-boggling, especially since Tobin himself has been accused of cover-ups, like specifically covering things up. Um, but yeah, to do that to, for a church that has over 100,000 verified uh, um, claims made against them, uh, 100,000 victims of verified claims made against them to come out and say that our events aren't are harmful to children was incredibly assaulting. So that's where I was on Sunday, mm-hmm. protesting outside of the cathedral in downtown Providence. And it was good. It was a good protest. It was short. Nothing happened. Uneventful. We had fun. You we, still showed up and, yep. and it's had live your voice on heard. Our, yeah, it's live on our Facebook if you want to go watch it, if you like that kind of thing. I only record it like, what, 20 minutes worth? You know, I, I mean, at the beginning, it's just like a lot of chanting. Mm-hmm. And then the um, the organizer of the rally, Joe Lazzarini, um, he had several different um, reverends, priests, church people come up and speak. So it was good. But yeah. But it was very, um, I thought it was very beautiful as we're celebrating 50 years of pride that oh, yeah, month to be, to be at, a, at a rally. You know, here we are 50 years later, still protesting. Happy 50th, Mom. Happy. <laughs> Why you got to call your no, mom out like because that? Because it's incredible. My mom was born. The year of Stonewall? June, the month of Stonewall. Yeah. Wow. Hey, Christians. Today's episode is brought to you by Honey, the incredible browser extension. Honey searches the web for you and automatically applies the best coupons to your order. I have personally saved a ton of money using this extension. When we upgraded our audio equipment, we saved around $20. That was just one purchase. The average Honey user saves $30. How could Honey be any better, you ask? Honey now offers exclusive coupons for the Your Queer Story merch shop. So make sure you check it out while you shop for your new swag. 
To learn more, visit yourqueerstory.com slash honey. Again, that's yourqueerstory.com slash honey. So we want to start this episode off by listing our references and talking about them a little. So going into our second year, we want to be much more aware of making sure we note our reference material. We will also be publishing our scripts online, guys. So um, if you prefer to read or if you uh, know a person who is deaf or hard of hearing, they can read our scripts if they want. We uh, won't have our witty banter in there, but it's a good reference for history to at least get the education exactly and at the bottom of those scripts will be a list of our resources um, including any links to any websites we used and like we said we hope that this will help people doing research for their own queer story our references this week come from several sources our main text is the book stonewall breaking out in the flight in the fight for gay rights by Anne bosom while this book does give an excellent timeline of the events that unfolded before, during, and after the Stonewall Riots, it does not accurately represent the many heroes of the riots, particularly particularly people of color and transgender women. Yeah, so, um, okay, so the, the, the definitive book on Stonewall is written by David Carter. It's called Stonewall, um, the, I think it's the uprising and start of a revolution, but it's it's also called Stonewall, but that's a massive book which I did not have time to read. I do want to read one day, but I didn't have time to read it. So I got this smaller book. And again, as far as like, if you just want to know a timeline of how the events led up, fine. But I was very disappointed. This book was published in 2015. So there's not a good excuse for this. Um, the author just didn't, who is not queer, did not reference any transgender women of color. I thought maybe I missed it because I originally listened to this book. And I was like, I must have missed, obviously, mm -hmm. she talked about Marsha and Sylvia. I'm going to go back through and find them. And um, I, so I got, I borrowed the book and I looked in the bibliography and it said that their names were mentioned and I went back and I could not find their names on that page. The most yeah. iconic people in the whole Exactly. Thing. Huge icons. And, and that just goes back to how we've talked about queer people being left behind and when you start to drive, you know, queer people when, of color. Yeah. Well, yeah. when, when you start to say, okay, well let's cover these queer events, then the people who, again, don't fit, fit the picture, you know, well, if it's not a white guy or a white girl, I guess we don't have to cover them because, um, we're at least covering gay people. Right. Well, and even that it was the thing about the book was that it really focused on gay white men. Yeah. Like Storm Delevary. I'm sorry if I'm saying her name wrong. But Storm, who was the lesbian, the butch lesbian who threw the first punch, as they say, um, she wasn't like the author talked about a lesbian being pulled out, but didn't mention Storm's name. Um, there were several other people of color, gay men of color that were that were quickly talked about. But they kind of like made the hero of the story, Craig Rodwell, which if you know your gay history, your queer history, you know the name Craig Rodwell, but Craig Rodwell has like basically been the hero of gay history for the last 50 fucking years. And he wasn't even in the Stonewall when the event started happening. He like came later and he was well, part yeah, of the riots. You know what? He was a white man. So yeah. you know what? And it's no, it's nothing against Craig Rodwell. He did a lot for the queer community, but it's also like, at least you, you talk about him repeatedly throughout the book you can't even mention Marsha. You can't the even mention... The people who initiated everything. Right. You can't even... This they, stuff wouldn't have happened without them. The people that were resisting, that were fighting back, that were giving this, the, the crowd a show, that were drawing a crowd and, and making the crowd upset and, and, and pushing for them to say, hey, this is wrong. 
you're not even going to mention those people by name. That was frustrating. That yeah. was very frustrating. So that's my thing for the book. So again, it's, and what was more frustrating is that this book was listed as young adult, and which means that this is geared towards young people and they're learning their history and they're learning it wrong. Yep. You cannot learn from your history if you do not accurately learn your history. That's how it's always been. Just look at what everything we were taught in high school. Yep. Well, <laughs> especially <laughs> you, but yeah, especially general me. public education, you know, yeah. everything is whitewashed. Everything is made to be that America just did everything right all the time. They never, mm -hmm. they never did anything wrong. Just a couple little oopsie daisies. You know, we made a couple mistakes, but you know what? It wasn't our fault. So no, absolutely not. That's they didn't what know how to speak English when we got here. That's not our problem. We, we had to wipe them out. Absolutely. Are you kidding me? They were trying to kill us. All we wanted to do was take their land and rape their women. Yeah. I don't What's see the problem. Right? Do you see the problem? Because I don't. I don't. I don't see the problem. Colonialism is the way to go. So our other resource is, uh, which is a much better resource, uh, but does not have as much information about Stonewall, is um, Transgender History by Susan Stryker, which we use all the time. Um, as said, we use it in a lot of our uh, research, and Stryker's book was used for these two episodes to gain a better picture of transgender activism leading up to Stonewall. And our last main text was the Encyclopedia of Lesbian, Gay, Bisexual, and Transgender History in America, Volume 3. Any good encyclopedia of queer history is definitely recommended for our serious queer historians. But we also pulled info from the following sources. A Queer History of the United States by Michael Bronski. Can't recommend that book enough. Modern History by Blair Imani. And several online articles from The Advocate, The Atlantic, Britannica, Wikipedia, and more. Which will be linked on the strips if you would like to check them out. But now, let's dive into the story of one of the most momentous occasions in American queer history and even world history. The story of a small bar in East Greenwich New Village, New York. But before we get to the, that bar and that pivotal night, we must first establish the reasons behind the Stonewall Riot. Why was this raid on this bar on this night so different from the hundreds of raids of various gay bars in the past on countless other nights? Throughout the mid-1950s and into the 60s, queer individuals had begun to come out into the open. New information about homosexuality was coming to light through the Kinsey Report and Dr. Evelyn Hooker's research. Organizations such as the Madison Society, the Daughters of Belitis, and the Janus Society had formed and were actively working towards social acceptance and queer rights. Magazines like One, The Ladder, Transvestia, and Drum were now legally able to be sold thanks to one magazine winning their obscenity battle in court. These newsletters further connected the LGBTQ community and made it possible for queer individuals all across the country to stay informed of their rights and social progress. Which, by the way, if you aren't familiar with the Daughters of Belides, check them out in episode 5. Episode 5, yeah. Our audio is a little rough, but I stand by that episode. <laughs> so as more groups formed and more information was offered and more people came out of the woodwork to join the ranks of the homocracy, the air of revolution began to ripen, and the 60s were a perfect time for a revolution. The black civil rights movement was in full swing, the feminist uprising was taking suburban homes by storm, Asian Americans were speaking out against the injustices they had faced during World War II and a century before, Latinx and Hispanic migrant farmers were meeting were meeting and beginning to whisper against their cruel labor conditions. America was set for the largest upheaval she had seen since the Civil War, and the queers weren't going to be left behind. 
And as I was researching this, one thing that um, Susan Stryker, I believe, pointed out in her book is that, um, you know, people were, make this assumption that, you know, the gay rights movement just copied things from the, the black civil rights movement and the other and feminism. But the thing is, the people that were in the black civil rights movement and that were in the feminist uprising and that were in the migrant farmers uh, protests were the same people, right? You had Yeah, because queer individuals aren't, you know, are everywhere. <laughs> we, we span every race, every identity, every nationality, everything. So yeah. there's always, you know, you might have the civil rights movement, but who organized the March on Washington? Bayard Rustin, a gay man. Exactly. So... The intersectional identities. Yeah, exactly. You have people like Audre Lorde, who's uh, she's a black woman. She's a par- take, partaking in the civil rights movement. She is so a she feminist, had, right? All right, there. Feminist. She spans three things exactly, and she's she's a she's a queer woman. So so what Susan Trecker was pointing out, like they weren't copying these necessarily. That's just that's what we did in our protests. We had a sit in, so we're going to have a sit in for this. We you know we marched here, we're going to march there. It was just that's how everyone was protesting. Mm-hmm. So in some ways, yes, they were copying those instances, but in other ways the same these were the people creating those instances like you said Bayard Rustin you know organized the march on Washington these queer individuals were creating these movements and other um and other uprisings and they were doing the same thing in the yeah. LGBTQ take what works and repeat movement. it exactly. don't reinvent the wheel when you don't have to that's right so on a late Los Angeles evening in May of 1959 police barged into a small all-night coffee shop named Cooper's Donut sounds like a nice place to be it does. <laughs> the cafe was nestled in between two gay bars and was a favorite late night hangout for drag queens and transgender individuals. Almost all African American or Latinx people, and many of whom were homeless. The shop was constantly under police surveillance, and the officers routinely harassed those coming in and out of the place. They would demand ID, and if a person's perceived gender didn't match their attire, the officer would arrest them, which for drag queens and transgender people was naturally a problem. On this site, on this night, though, the police became more aggressive. This time, they went straight into the cafe and began to round up anyone they suspected of cross-dressing or gender de- deviancy. The people inside began to resist, throwing donuts at the cops and eventually outright brawling with them. The event went unnoticed by the general public, but the queer community was ignited by the word of the small riot. Activists began to rev up their cries for action. So it's like, again, this is where like the magazines and newsletters come in place because no papers weren't even reporting on this kind of stuff right but we had our publication so we could get the word out and now you've got right you have these things that are allowing knowledge of these events to be spread across the country which before when lgbt content was banned and only spread by like little pamphlets that you secretly handed off that wouldn't have gotten anywhere but now now all this information is being widespread across the entire country and um it's just allowing people to be so much more connected similar yeah. to the internet like now that we have the internet we can we know what's going on all over the world and we can react and we can grow as a community yeah and you had two big cases during this time um one that we know about one magazine where they they won their battle in court for obscenity which just meant that they could publish gay material about gay individuals but a lot of people don't know that a woman named virginia prince who was very controversial in herself she also won a court battle for transvestia which was a magazine for transvestites or transgender 
individuals, cross-dressers. And that was also because what, whereas people had said, okay, well, one can pet publish their stuff. We're not going to let cross-dressers mm-hmm. publish their things. Virginia Prince went to battle or went to court and she won that battle. So two big, big court cases that allowed us to have access to our newsletters. Mm-hmm. In September of 1964, a small group of gays and lesbians picketed outside a military building in New York City. Their protest, the first organized gay rights demonstration on record, was against the military's violation of queer personnel's confidentiality. The armed services had released records of gay men who were discharged, publicly outing those individuals. Which, of course, was a huge deal because as soon as you're outed by the military, like you were discharged for being gay, there goes your job. There yeah, goes absolutely. Your, your house. You're there done. goes everything. Good luck. Yeah. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Exactly. You can be evicted for being gay. You can be fired there for being no gay. There were no protections. You could be absolutely murdered not. for being gay. I basically, mean, you still can, but... Yeah. You could basically... Yeah, you could be murdered for being gay, and it was just an accident. Yeah. Oh, well, maybe he shouldn't have talked to him like that. Yeah. But he can, the same guy can go rape a woman, and you know what? It's fine. It's fine. What she should you? carry the baby, and they can get married and live a happy <laughs> life. That's just what God wanted. That it, that's what I heard. Um, I don't know. Um, a few <laughs> months later in December, another group of homosexuals picketed a local lecture by a psychotherapist who claimed homosexuality was a mental illness. So we're really starting to speak up. And this is why it's important. This is why protests matter. Because you could say, oh, who cares about that guy? So he, he doesn't agree with queers. You have to stand up because other people are watching and other people are listening and they need you to speak up. They need to see you speaking up. When we protested at the, outside of that Catholic the Catholic Church on Sunday. It wasn't for Bishop Tobin. Fuck Bishop Tobin. I don't care about him. It was for the kids that I saw going in and out of that Catholic and Church. And for the people without a voice, the people who are scared, the people who are closeted, who don't know or who don't accept themselves and they're scared to come out. Yeah. When they see people standing up for who they are and being proud and saying, no, we're not going to deal with yeah. your hate, it makes them feel like they can have a voice. It makes them feel like they're safe. They're accepted. They have a community to go to if they lose their entire family. Yeah. It it just shows people that they're not alone. you don't yeah you're not alone we're here we're queer yeah. and we're not going anywhere motherfucker that's right that's right so protest in 1965 queer protests erupted across the country in san francisco there was a brief riot outside of the council on religion and home and the homosexual in washington dc and new york city members of the homophile movement protested against cuba's enslavement of homosexuals they were literally rounding up homosexuals and putting them in like concentration it's happening camps. in russia today yeah yes uh, it except is. i don't know if they're being murdered or put in concentration camps probably both yeah well we're going to cover a lot of that um later in this month when we cover the pink triangle mm-hmm. when we talk about the germans putting us in concentration camps and how that's still happening today um in night in philadelphia 150 people staged a sit-in at dewey's restaurant after the ro- after the owner refused to serve people in non-conforming clothes the business had been a popular queer joint for over 20 years, but suddenly management had decided that they, queer people, were bad for business. Three people were arrested in the initial sit-in, and over the next few weeks, dozens of queer individuals picketed the restaurant. Finally, in May, the business ceased its discrimination, and the nonviolent protest came to an end. This is why pride matters. Why do you need mm-hmm. pride? You have your rights. No, 
Because unless you fucking show people that you're not going to fucking deal with the bullshit, yep. you're going to be discriminated against. Your community is going to be slowly silenced day after day. It'll happen yep. It'll happen slowly. They'll come for one group first. Then once that group is silenced, they'll come for the next group. And all the while you're sitting there saying, oh, but it's not me. I don't have to do anything. Exactly. They'll come from the groups on the outside that and you then, don't realize. Right. And then once those groups are gone, who are generally the most outspoken groups, yep. they'll come for you and you're going to have no one left to help you. Exactly. Exactly. And you know, and we can't forget there's so many people in our queer community that don't have their rights still. Okay. If you're in a polyamorous relationship, you don't have the or you don't have the right to marry both of your or which is all bullshit. Why is it anybody? Why who why? the fuck cares? You should be able to marry whoever the fuck yeah. you want. Why? I, that's one thing. Like, I don't know. In a <laughs> fucked up way, I could see why they would say you can't have gay marriage. Like, I think that's completely wrong. But I can see how in their twisted, bigoted way that they could say that's wrong. It's right? against the law. It's right. against natural law. Right. Mm-hmm. But like. To say isn't that what like all not all and that's definitely wrong but isn't that like what most non polyamorous but like straight men would love that right to, to be able to marry well yeah. polyg they yeah they definitely want polygamy which is different than polyamory Poly- yes, but yeah that's but what yeah I, that's but what and also every like um sacred text talks about like you'll have talks 50 about, <laughs> you know, every sacred text talks about being married to multiple women, right? Mm-hmm. The Quran, the Torah, the Bible, they talk about people being married to more than one person. So you would think that people would be fine, even if they were just fine with, okay, well, men can marry as many people they want. But no, none of it. it which is very, it just comes down to, um, I mean, it's not, it's not a moral thing. It's just bigotry towards Mormons. That's what it is. Yeah. You know, um, but where was it going? But yeah, when, when I'm when we talk about these rights, we look at Stonewall and we think, "Wow, look at we have all our rights now." No, we can't. We don't have all our rights. Like we said, you still don't know, have non-binary identification uh, markers on most state um, identification and not on federal identification. You still don't have a polyamorous people still can't marry how they please. Um, uh, kink I think individuals. The, gov- the government just needs to get the fuck out. The government does need to get the fuck out. They do. And you know, the people that are all for small government sure want the government all up in our business. They do. Right? Do you know how many laws are still on the books for spanking? Like, you can't spank an adult individual regardless of their consent or not. Listen. Like, <laughs> it's like, it's off. ridiculous. It's just bigotry towards the kink community. Like, we have members of our community that still don't have our rights. So we're not done yet, bitches. And you know what? Even if... You know, when we're doing this podcast three years from now, even if every single gay, lesbian, transgender rights on book, we still have work to do. We still do. Our community spreads past that. So when you are sitting with someone who doesn't fit in, reach out to them, talk to them. They're yeah. they're no different than you. Just because they don't look like you, just because they don't sound like you, just because they don't share the same interests. If they don't fit the status quo, they are part of the queer community and they deserve your utmost respect and attention. You might not like them. You don't have to like them. We can still root for them. You can still work yep. towards their acceptance. Yep. Right? Yeah. I'm getting on my little pedestal over here. Oh, I hear I had you. a couple beers. I'm ready to go. He's ready. Philadelphia's queer organization, the Janus Society, often overlooked beneath Madison's shadow, understood the importance of equal rights and equal justice for all queer people, as we just talked about. Yeah. Not just the white, cisgender, heterosexual appearing queer. They wrote of the Dewey protest on May 2nd, 1965. All too often, there is a tendency to be concerned with the rights of homosexuals as long as they somehow appear to be heterosexual, whatever that is. 
generally white, you know, <laughs> nice, <laughs> kempt, blonde hair, blue eyes. Masculine. Masculine. Go to the gym. The masculine woman and the feminine man often are looked down upon, but the Janus society is concerned with the worth of an individual and the manner in which she or he comports himself. What is offensive today remains offensive tomorrow to some persons. There is no reason to penalize nonconformist behavior unless there is a direct antisocial behavior connected with it. That just perfectly summed up everything we just said. Right? Yeah, exactly. We should have just read that quote instead of <laughs> running out on our own shit. <laughs> As the homophile and transgender rights movement marched on with more protests, pickets, and activism throughout 1965 and into 1966, the biggest pre-Stonewall outcry was yet to come. On a hot August night in San Francisco in 1966, a group of queens sat at a table in the Compton Cafeteria, an all-night diner. Is anyone recognizing the theme? Like, <laughs> it's like Dewey's Donuts, the yeah. or no Dewey's Restaurant, uh, whatever donut place. We like to eat, okay? Yeah, uh, like everyone else. Surprise! We have to <laughs> feed ourselves because exactly. without nourishment, even gay people die, even <laughs> queer people die. You wouldn't believe it. But also, you have to. A lot of these people are homeless, so where are you going to go? You can't go to the bar. You go to all night diners. That's where a place where you can sit. You are safe. You can, yeah, you can take your time. You can spend a little bit of t- more time there. Exactly. You know, you're not. You have a roof over your head. Exactly. You know, especially on nights where it's really hot outside or it's raining. The all night diners freezing. It's freezing, yeah. The all-night diners were essential to our community, especially, like we said, about the homeless youth and queer people of color who had even fewer options than than us. On top of that, it's easier to be out at night because I feel like people are, I don't know, more accepting is the right way to say it, but if you see a queen out at night, it's less jarring than seeing a queen out at 9 a.m. or, you know, lunchtime. It's, exactly. It, it, you, you're in a different state of mind. Yeah. So for them, they probably feel safer. They feel less less out of their element. Oh, yeah. I'm sure that, yeah. And, and just in general, I would, if I, I would feel safer sleeping during the day than I would sleeping on the streets at night. Mm-hmm. You just, in general, it's safer. I mean, I only had to sleep in my car for a couple nights, but I would sleep during the day. I didn't like to sleep at night, which it helped because I worked at midnights. So mm-hmm. that helped. You know, and then I could go park in a, a like a lot during the day, and then you don't have to worry about it. But and and like we so like you said, though, so these so Compton Cafeteria was a habitual hangout for LGBT people, especially people of color who were drag queens and transgender. On this night, the table of queens, the table of queens was being too loud, according to the manager. So the staff called the police. This wasn't the first time the employees at Compton's had called the police on the queer patrons. Since July, several LGBTQ protesters had been picketing in protests of the restaurant's mounting bigotry. When a large officer wrenched the arm of one of the drag queens, her coffee flew into his face. Immediately, the cafe erupted into an all-out brawl with tables flipped, plates smashed, and drag queens beating off cops with their stiletto heels. Around 50 to 60 people began to riot, vandalizing the police wagon that had arrived to arrest the queens and trans women. Raymond Brochiers later recalled, General Havoc was raised that night in the Tenderloin. That's what that area of San Francisco was called. The next day, there was another picket line, and by that evening, the protest had dissolved into riots again. The Compton Cafeteria riots were a preview of the chaos to come. As activists revved up their protests, police and public officials revved up their open discrimination. While New York had been the first state to repeal their sodomy laws in 1950, they were light years away from acceptance and tolerance. Though an individual could no longer be arrested for sleeping with a person of the same sex, police still found plenty of ways to harass the queer community. 
The New York State Liquor Authority had a long-standing law that prohibited the sale of alcohol to sexual deviants, a.k.a. queer people. A similar law was in almost every state in the country at the time. This meant that gay bars, or gay bars that served alcohol at least, were illegal. Though many places ignored their laws against serving homosexuals, others took the regulations quite seriously. Many bars even posted a sign in the window that read, If you're gay, go away. I'm going to make that. I'm going to make that a shirt, and I'm going to turn it around in our favor. Uh, okay. You think about it. I'm going to make it happen. Okay. I love these like old sayings that are so anti-LGBTQ because I feel like they can be used to empower us. They're like homocrat. There's yeah. so many things, the word queer, so many things that were used against us that I feel like when you hear them in today's time, the way that they're phrased, it's just so outdated. It sounds funny. Yeah. I agree. I agree. We're going to do it. We're going to take back all of these words, all these things, all these hatefulness. Yeah. Hateful comments. In addition to the no drinking laws, police also had the ability to arrest cross-dressers and sex workers, which disproportionately targets transgender, transgender women of color who often had no other means of income because they wouldn't. nobody would hire them. Yeah. They were kicked out. They were homeless. So they had to do what they had to do to survive. And here you yeah. are saying, well, uh, we wouldn't give you a job and we wouldn't let you serve in the military and we wouldn't let you do that and we wouldn't let you do this. Uh, so you were just supposed to lay on the street and starve. Since yeah. you're actually trying to make a living, you're going to go to jail. Exactly. And you'll probably die in there instead. Yes. And there is nothing wrong with being a sex worker. Absolutely but there not. Is something wrong with forcing someone into that work because they exactly. have no other options. Exactly. The police also set up entrapments for gay men. Often an officer would lure a man behind an alley and, or into a bathroom and offer the man money for sexual favors or simply claim that he had offered money. Once the act was underway, many times well underway, yeah, they were getting their dick sucked. Yeah. They were like, well, I'm already here. You might as well just get me done. Exactly, yeah. Other officers would come around and arrest the deviant. And while lesbians didn't face the same kind of entrapment, they battled the sexism and oppression that all women faced. Only they were were also dealing with the intersecting identity of being a queer female, which doubled their oppression and harassment. And if they were a queer woman of color, forget it. The scrutiny was unending. Yes. So because of the many legal limitations, gay bars were often forced to go through the mafia. Due to their ties with the NYPD, the mafia was able to notify a bar if a raid was scheduled for that evening. This in turn allowed the managers to notify their patrons to stay away. Even after the repeal of the alcohol laws in 1968, the raids continued to happen and many bar owners felt compelled to keep their mafia ties, which came at quite a price. Not only did the owners have to pay the mobs steep fees, they also had to send along funds to the corrupt policemen who worked for the mafia. If someone couldn't make their payment, suddenly their bar was raided by the NYPD. And of course, there were raids strictly for political appearances. Most queer patrons knew to stay away from bars during election seasons when when the raid frequency went up as candidates attempted to show they were cleaning up the city. So the gay mafia... That's straight people's fault. Yeah, the gay mafia is really just a bunch of straight people taking advantage of the gay community. Yeah, well, you know what? Reclaiming our word. That's right. That's right. So when you see me walking down the street with my fucking pink baseball bat covered in glitter, that's your fault. (laughs) If you're a straight listener. In 1966, mob crony Tony Laria, a.k.a. Fat Tony, who served under mafia boss Matty the Horse, who probably had a massive penis, opened up a new bar. Fatty the Horse. Hmm. Maddie the horse, no. I was saying a horse hung like a horse. Oh, okay, okay. I was thinking of a fatty, but I don't. <laughs> Maybe he was. Bo- you never know. Maybe it was like twelve inches and six inches thick. Mm, Who knows? Wow, that's a lot. <laughs> you never know. I don't know. I don't. Someone has to have that dick. That's why we have all those dildos. Yeah. 
They wouldn't just like make that. it up. <laughs> Nobody should just so come up with that Matt, on their own. Your job is like a, 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 dick, a dildo mold. You're like, all right, let me get hard. Okay, take, take the casting. This is my full-time job. Make sure you get the nuts this time. You didn't get them right last That's time. That's right. I'm telling you, Clarence, you suck at this job. <laughs> I'm just tired. I'm tired of going around. I'm just all day. I'm holding dicks in my hand, and I don't even get to suck them or anything. <laughs> the bar was built in the former home of the Stonewall Inn restaurant, which had closed down after a severe fire. Fat Tony lacked imagination and creativity, as evidenced by his black paint to cover the fire-charred walls. Yeah, he's literally like, <laughs> they're like, so we mean we can come in and like kind of brighten up the place? And he's like, nah, just put the black paint over there and all come in together. Yeah, hello, easy, <laughs> get done. <laughs> and he simply named the new bar the Stonewall Inn. Why change it if it's working? It, don't If it works, don't fix it. Yeah. But what he lacked in decorative imagination, he made up for in business savvy. While the issue of serving alcohol to homosexuals was currently being debated in the city government meetings, gay bars were not yet in the clear. So instead, Tony made his establishment a bottle club. Every bottle had a person's name as if it belonged to a member. This made the bar appear more exclusive and private, which would limit police suspicion. And we still have bottle clubs around, which, of course, I'm sure if you're so some a lot of people know that um, bottle clubs are fun because you just get to drink more alcohol. Yeah, but of yeah. course, you bring your alcohol. But um, but yeah, but it was it was a smart way to get around the rule. Right. You know, because he could because you couldn't say that you were serving homosexuals. So he'd be like, no, that's Joe's bottle. Joe's totally straight. Have you seen Joe? God, straightest uh, uh, guy yeah. ever met. <laughs> I mean, he can fit this whole bottle up his ass, but totally straight. <laughs> He would never no do that. Like that. He would never do that. I've tried it. We went back last last week. It was great. Yeah. Uh, wait, what? I didn't say that. Huh? What? Okay. So this also created a safe space for queer people and through time, especially queer people of color. In order to keep up appearances, the bar was selective of who they allowed inside. They also required all patrons to sign an honor registry. And in the first year or so, people of color were often turned away. But in time, that changed, and eventually the Stonewall, would, the Stonewall would become the place for queer people of color. We don't have a set reason as to why this happened, but we do have a theory. And this is all straight out of my own ass. So if you disagree or you got comments, feel free to reach out. Tweet us. Tweet, yeah, tweet us. I mean, I did pull some of this from like, um, like what I read and, and like different um, articles and stuff I read that speculated, but I, I just came up with this myself. So here we go. Here, here it comes. <laughs> Initially, racism and prejudice played their ugly hands in excluding people of color, transgender individuals, and gender nonconforming people from the Stonewall. No doubt the mob bosses thought they could make better money off of the white patrons, and since white patrons had better jobs and overall opportunities, that wasn't a bad guess. But in late 67, the SLA, which stands for State Liquor Authority, began to ease up on its charges against gay bars. And in January of 1968, a judge ruled, There's nothing wrong, per se, with a gay bar. This allowed queer citizens to officially own and operate their own bars without mob inf interference and thus mob dues. Many white gays and lesbians jumped at this chance. Even with the continued police raids and harassment in search of other violations, it was still better than to be beholden to the mob. Because not only had the mafia taken advantage of the bars through extortion of funds, but they had also been blackmailing the patrons. Yes. If you visited a gay bar in New York during this time, and you weren't already out, the mob would blackmail you and threaten to expose you to your work, your family, and any other relation that could be harmed. 
much how fucking shitty, right? Because you're going to the, one of the few places that you can actually go. And, and they're then, like, you know what? You better fucking do whatever we tell you to do. Exactly. Pay us whatever we tell you to pay or else, you know what? Fuck you. Exactly. Gay men especially were paying hundreds of dollars to the mob to keep their orientation a secret. And lesbians with children were being forced to find a way to pay off the sharks so that they did not lose custody of their kids. Because remember, if it was found out that you were a lesbian, you would automatically lose custody of your kids wouldn't be able to see them. Yeah. Which it was hard enough for women at this time. This was right before things started to change. It was hard enough for women at this time to keep um, custody in general if they, you know, so. Yeah, they were deviants. They can't have a kid around deviants. Yeah. So in reaction to the seedy practice, white gays and lesbians began to petition the community to avoid mafia-run bars. And for the whites, this was doable as many of them had also had other clubs, organizations, and bars that they could frequent. But for transgender individuals and cross-dressers and homeless youth and people of color, the options were limited. Most feared the police raids more than they did the blackmail, as many had little to lose. So in time, the Stonewall Inn became a safe haven for the queer misfits. Here was a place where they could gather with others like them and not fear the discrimination of police, the local citizens, and even their own LGBT siblings. Yeah, which, <laughs> yeah, which just to say real quick that so when we're talking about because like the white people they feared the mob because but if you're a black person if you're a brown person during this time you are having you know in the midst of the civil rights movement you were facing you know you're seeing children being blown down by fire hoses you're seeing extreme police brutality so yep. of course you're like i'm gonna take my chances with the mob because again how's the mob gonna blackmail you right like what are you gonna take from me bitch right i, I can't I, get a job <laughs> i already can't get a job yeah I, I, I have nothing to lose exactly so i have nothing to lose so you can't blackmail me and i'm certainly not gonna go to a place that's gonna be that's more likely to be raided by the police yeah and the atlantic the atlantic featured gay journalist dick leish account of the stonewall inn this club was more than a dance bar more than just a gay gathering place it catered largely to a group of people who are not welcome in or cannot afford other places of homosexual social gathering the drags and the queens two groups of which would find a chilly reception or a barred door at most of the other gay bars and clubs formed the regulars of at the stonewall inn to a large extent the club was for them then, too, there are hundreds of young homosexuals in New York who literally have no home. Most of them are between 16 and 25 and came here from other places without jobs, money, or contacts. Many of them are running away from unhappy homes. One boy told us my father called me a cocksucker so many times I thought it was my name. Another said his parents fought so much over which of them made him a homosexual that he left so they could learn to live together. These were the people who made up Stonewall, those rejected by everyone else. And Fat Tony, understanding a business understanding a business opportunity, capitalized on the snitch market. He turned the bar into a thriving hotspot of popularity. The inn took in about ten to twelve thousand dollars every weekend, the equivalent of thirty five thousand dollars today, and paid out roughly twelve hundred to the mob, worth eight thousand today. Within two years the Stonewall went from a dull, drabby bar to a swanky club complete with caged male go go dancers. The perfect place for a great birthday party, which is exactly what Marsha P. Johnson and Sylvia Rivera were doing on June 28, 1969, when the world exploded. 
So with that, if you want to find out what happens next, make sure you listen to episode two on the Stonewall Inn, which, surprise, came out today as well. That's right. Happy Pride Month, bitches. We're going to give it back to back so you don't have to wait in anticipation. So all you have to do is kick, kick. All you have to do is kick some straight ass. That's right. Kick. Now, all you have to do is click play on the next episode on however you get your podcast. And maybe on the way, don't forget to rate us a five. Rate us a five star review. Help us bring our score back up. We don't know what we did. Apparently, we offended someone. I'm shocked. I can't believe it. Apparently. And um, so we're going to see you on the flip side, you little homocrats. So stay queer. Don't get a lobotomy. We love you, our allied hookers. A little succulent surface. And our proud homocrats. That's right. Goodbye. Bye.